which I've never even heard of raspberry cake. Chris, where do you find these? Ah, where do we- these come from? Some website. I got it bookmarked. I'm starting to think you're just making it up. <laughs> Have you heard of raspberry cake, though? I heard of raspberry pie. That's true. Yeah, that's also weird. That's that's why I'm more suspicious than usual. I feel like that might have been like a temporary cake fad, like maybe from the 1920s. Because you know how like for a minute, everyone was all about that red velvet cake, which in my <laughs> yeah. mind is really just like, hey, let's water down some chocolate so it doesn't really taste like anything. Um, that might have just been that version back in the day. People were doing the Charleston and eating their raspberry cake. That's what was going on in the 20s. Yeah, Anyhow. Well, guess what, guys? It's episode 99. We're oh, one away. Yes. We're almost at triple digits. It's going to happen. And speaking like of, anybody coming to the days. live show on the weekend? I'll be there. I'll be there. I think I'm, I think I'm going to make it. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, <laughs> we'll be recording a live episode, so next week uh, is going to be structured probably a little bit different. Probably be a little bit of kind of like a panel talk for us in a sense. Uh, but anybody that's coming, we're excited to see you. And anybody that's going to listen to it uh, after it's already already recorded, we hope it's a good show for you. But what are y'all working on this week? Why don't you take it away, Ben? Well, I just published a video on sort of recycled metal, and as an, sort of another one in the series of metal working for beginners. And I cleaned up an old rusty muffler that I found on the side of the road, turned into a planter, and. <laughs> Another thing I found on the side of the road, which isn't a normal side of the road thing, is a electric stove. And I took the drawer off and I turned that into a bench. So that video just finally went live. Yeah, very happy with it. Uh, learned about rusty metal primer um, and was sort of working on my refinishing metal skills, which is good because the crane is coming tomorrow to place the shipping containers. Ooh, big and then day. after that, I'm going to be... Getting getting into a lot of heavy-duty metal work, cutting up the containers, welding in steel frames, and, yeah, just doing, like, hardcore uh, steel prep work for the, the tiny house. Now, is that tomorrow in real time or tomorrow in podcast time? Tomorrow in real time. Okay. It'll be Wednesday in podcast time, which okay. means those Instagram stories, if they're not still live on my uh, Instagram account, they'll be highlighted into the container house stream and yeah for anyone that's been i've been getting a lot of questions about hey where can we where's the best place to follow along with the shipping container construction it is instagram and look into those little highlight feeds and there's a dedicated highlight feed just to the tiny house and if you have tappy little fingers you can just go all the way through from (laughs) start to wherever i'm at um i think there's i think there's about 50 posts right now so uh probably a little bit there's a little bit of redundancy in there, but uh, you should be able to see at least a, a 15 second slice of everything that I've been doing. Very nice. So I haven't been doing much making. I've just been sort of editing and publishing and also traveling. I just got back from the Haven conference in Charleston and it was a great conference. It's sort of more like the blogging, interior design and crafting version of WorkbenchCon, but uh, it's also the home base of our buddy Ashley Harwood. So I got to stop by and see her wood turning shop. I've met her before, but I've never got to sort of like really hang out, sort of pick her brain, you know, hear a little bit more behind the scenes about what she does. Her work is incredible. If you haven't, uh, if you haven't seen her stuff before, just look, look for her on Instagram, Ashley G Harwood. She is, she's a pretty incredible wood turner. And, she was showing me some of the things that she doesn't really publish on social media 
And she's just done like all sorts of projects that aren't your typical turning projects. She's done these really cool like Christmas ornaments that I posted on my Instagram stories that were just incredibly delicate. And they actually involved like these sea urchin shells that she collected that she mixed in with uh, wood pieces. So gave me a ton of ideas. Uh, I'm not exactly sure if I'm going to be doing wood turning anytime soon, but I'm definitely going to start building up a design library of wood turning ideas so that when I do get the lathe, I'll have about five or six projects all ready to batch out and get done. Other than that, I just had a lot of great chats with uh, other influencers. And the one I want to highlight is someone is doing a project very similar to what I'm doing right now, a channel named Vintage Revivals. They're much bigger on sort of web and Instagram than they are on uh, YouTube, but they've now started a really cool YouTube series where they're renovating a giant industrial building into their dream home in Utah. So it's run by Mandy Grubler, who is a fantastic designer. And the sort of parallel in the things that we were sort of, you know, comparing notes on is that she's also doing this project sponsored by Home Depot. So these are sort of the two biggest, you know, maker slash renovation projects that Home Depot has done with influencers. And it was nice to just sort of commiserate with someone that's gone through a lot of the same challenges. I mean, the building they're doing is 10 times bigger than what I'm doing. And so it was just great to sort of, (laughs) we both at one point said to each other, oh, wait, so you're feeling that too? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) You know, discouragement, being totally overwhelmed, physically exhausted, and uh, just the general sense of being in over your head. So it was really nice to kind of take a weekend off, commiserate with a bunch of people, talk to a bunch of brands, and uh, just, uh, you know, just it's one of those things, no matter how well anyone seems to be doing, Everyone's always got a struggle, and it's always nice to uh, chat with people that understand that. Totally. So I've got two questions. Number one, I didn't get to go to Haven, unfortunately, but what was the big takeaway? Was there any kind of like, can you sum it up in any big lesson you learned in kind of like a sentence or two that was just kind of the meat and potatoes? Uh, Yes. It's still interesting to see the number of people that have very thriving content businesses that don't do video. and. Uh, but I would say all of them are strongly, especially the more serious ones, are considering how to incorporate video since that's an obvious thing, sort of missing piece in the portfolio. The other sort of interesting news, which I can't confirm, but hey, what are podcasts for if not for throwing out rumors, <laughs> is that Home Depot might not be uh, Minwax and might not be in Home Depot forever. That's what um, I've heard too. So that was sort of an interesting thing that will sort of change uh you know certainly some of the finishes and stuff that i have access to uh but i'm sure if one thing goes new things will come to take it place perhaps perhaps <laughs> even what a brand called maker brand no it's it's just it's it's always interesting to see people that again i always think that the innovation comes not from the people that are the most similar to you but from the people that are slightly to the side that that tangential pursuit where you're going to see things that you can put into your own context, but are the, but are that are in general just more foreign to you? Right, right. 
So my other question is going back to your third episode of the Metalworking for Beginners series. I haven't like, gotten a chance to see it yet. So what I'm curious about is the one that you turned into a planner. That piece was rusted out like crazy. So what was your prep process? Because whenever I did the lockers, basically my my run through was I hit it with 150 grit sandpaper with the random orbit just to knock down some of the really kind of just crusty stuff that would have fallen off anyways if you wiped it. And then I hit it with acetone. So what was your move? So th- this muffler was disgusting. And I didn't yeah. know that when you cut a muffler open, I-, I think the most interesting part to me was just cutting the muffler open and seeing what it looked like inside. <laughs> so there's a series of pipes and a whole bunch of really nappy ass steel wool, which was really just disgusting. Um, so once I pulled that all out, it was very heavily rusted. I used like this. I tried both a stripping wheel and a wire brush. Those disposable stripping wheels that are kind of like a a Rice Krispie treat that has no flexibility on the yeah. end of a drill. Those yeah. things work really well. I think they're like a 3M or Scotch-Brite kind of product. Those ones that basically look like a really like heavy-duty sponge almost? Rice cake kind of thing, yeah. Yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, but, but you can tap on them. They're completely rigid. Right. That thing worked really well. So I got rid of most of the rust. I couldn't get rid of the rust on the inside because the, the inside shape was so complicated. And I couldn't get either the angle grinder or the, the drill in there. And I wasn't about to put a big scratchy thing on a flex attachment and <laughs> take all the skin off my my knuckles. So I was planning on using Rust-Oleum because I had seen you sort of do your Rust-Oleum renovation projects and still had paint at the house. But uh, I went Oh, and I thought you were for... going to say, and they came out so well. <laughs> no, <that's laughs> I know. I was just sitting here getting prepped for a compliment. <laughs> the, the came out well part is going to inspire an eggplant project in the future. Hashtag oh, okay. There eggplant boys. Um, <laughs> No, so I, I was looking for a primer, and after a little bit of online research, I saw that they have a, and I'm not currently sponsored by Rust-Oleum, so this was all just uh, watching Mike sort of work and figuring it out for myself. So I got this thing called Rusty Metal Primer that's actually meant to spray over rust, heavily rust, uh, heavily rusted metal. So that is actually, it's actually the color of rust, so I guess it sort of, it chemically transforms the rust into an inert thing that's part of the primer and since this metal was so heavily pitted and there, i couldn't get all the rust off of it especially in the sort of crevices i uh, gave it a few coats of that that gave me a real smooth filled in surface that i then did the finished paint over the top of so yeah Very rusty cool. metal primer i'm a fan big time chris what have you been up to dude let's see i have finished off my lego table which i know i talked about it a couple weeks ago but i hadn't done the base yet so this I guess last week and the weekend before that, I built the base and finished it off, kept it super simple just to basically be a something to sit below the table, which is the star of the show. And man, I'll tell you what, I don't know if it's just because like concrete is not what I'm used to working in. So I like judge myself differently, but this is my favorite thing that I've ever built. Like every time I look at it, I'm Whoa, like, oh man, I agree. I'm loving looking at this thing. And I think it's like, I think I've mentioned before, whenever I cook something, I'm always very proud of myself. But like, if I build something out of wood, I'm not proud of myself because I'm like, well, you know, I, I have expectations for this. But like, you know, I don't know what I'm doing with them when I'm cooking. So if it comes out halfway decent, I'm like, holy crap, I'm a great cook. I think I'm kind of having that reaction with this project because, you know, I had never worked with concrete before and to see it go from my head into a, a real thing and pretty much come out the way that I had imagined it is awesome like it's that same i don't know that feeling that gets you into making stuff initially i'm really excited for this project now i've seen the pictures 
pictures of it. Yeah. Do are the Lego bumps still accessible? So could you like yeah. build a Lego sculpture like off of it? So it's pretty much like the most <laughs> awesome play table ever. Yeah. I'll, okay. So full disclosure, you can do it. I tested it out yesterday. I wanted to make sure it was after I got all my pictures in case I broke something doing it. You can do it, but there's like slight inconsistency. So it's not like perfectly flat. There's like a few that are, you know, sunken in like a 16th of an inch. So it doesn't work perfectly. And like I was messing around with it and I accidentally pulled one out the other day, but it just popped right back in. So it's all good. Cool. Did you work on this with Mike, industrial maker? Yeah, this was the project that we did all the concrete when Mike was in town, like three weeks ago or whenever that was. Yeah. And I just kind of set it aside to do some other stuff. And now I came back to it to do the base. So it's officially in the books. I got all my pictures. It's not going to come out for a while because it'll be sometime next month. And me and Mike have to, me and Mike Clifford have to schedule that and have our videos come out on the same day. He did that curvy bench, which I don't know if we ever got a chance to talk about that on here. We were barely making it when we did it, but I think he's shared some pictures. So if you guys aren't following him, go follow him on Instagram because he's posted some pictures of it. And it's a pretty awesome bench. Like it is, but save it, save it for when it comes out. Well, but he likes he likes to preview share, so hopefully okay. he can get some followers from people listening here. If you're not following him, go check it out so you can see it. But yeah, those videos will launch in a couple weeks, and I'm really excited. And now it's probably gonna flop, but no, whatever. That project is I'm proud of that myself. project is so cool. It's so it just completely defies physics. It, it, you know, visually at least, you look and you're like, there's no way that should be able to exist. Because it's yeah, just, so the uh, it's the can you sit on it bench exactly. That's what we've because that's everybody that sees it. Everybody who's walked up and has asked, "Can you sit on it?" Like that's <laughs> the reaction that every single person has. Um, also, great use of the classic Lego colors. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I know. You know what? When I was thinking about it, it's like blue, white, yellow, red. That's it, man. Yeah, you got to get that like black or not. What's that? You left out the black. I didn't put you black didn't Legos. Do- I put black yeah. Legos on the bottom to hold everything together, but no black Legos on the top, just because the. Uh, concrete was kind of dark so i just wanted like all bright pops of color for the lego itself yeah tight move tight move mike what do you got going this week i have perfected no nay i have (laughs) been workshopping my diy barn door uh hardware idea perfected nay worked on yeah exactly (laughs) i'm prototyping still somewhat finished yeah so my goal (laughs) is to come out with a real solid uh i've got two i got two strong ideas for some diy barn door hardware that's all kind of under 50 dollars. let me guess skateboard wheels actually no Believe it or not, I actually found some uh, casters that have a V-shaped groove on them that fit right into electrical conduit or a copper pipe, whatever what, whatever you're using. So I've got a couple different ideas, and I'm workshopping both of them. But normally when you buy barn door hardware for a single door, it's about 70 bucks. If you have a double, a double door, it's usually 100 150 bucks for the hardware. So I think there's a good opportunity for you know adding value to the audience on that idea. So... I think I'm going to do one that uses copper pipe and I can, is that called sweating the copper pipe when you solder it all together? Yep. So I've never done that. And I think that would be a really cool experience, a good skill to have. So I want to do one version with that. And then the other, I want to get some flat stock brass and make the hardware with that rather than with any kind of pipe. So look forward to those in the future. It'll probably be in the later on, maybe in the fall that these will be coming out. I really need a, a time and place for barn door hardware, and right now it's not really showing up. But yeah, other than that, it's basically the, the garage storage part two video that's out this week. I structured it a little bit different. Instead of being one big project, I already had the big part of the project done. It was more accessorizing. So I kind of split the video up into four different sections, one being making a built-in garage fridge freezer, 
uh, so that it worked into all the shelving and looked just totally built in. Uh, the other was just a simple pegboard solution and then the sliding barn doors uh, that also are painted with chalkboard paint, which is a total mess. I don't know if I would ever actually <laughs> put that in my house <laughs> because when you wipe it off, it just gets everywhere. It's insane. Chalkboard paint is fantastic to photograph against because it has that nice matte. matte rough finish that light cascades over really nicely yeah i've had it in workshops before it is a huge dust magnet (laughs) you you can't just like sweep it off you have to kind of vacuum brush because the dust especially the fine sander dust just clings to that that textured surface and it's got such contrast between that dark black and whatever color the dust is too yeah but either way uh i was excited to try it out because i see that at the store all the time and i want to get it and use it but it's just one of those but but why but now i had a chance so it was a lot of fun and in that sort of project you could also just say and if you prefer whiteboard you could use whiteboard paint which is also available exactly speaking of whiteboards i've actually been talking to a company that is interested in sponsoring us that makes the lightest uh direct to consumer whiteboards oh wow so at first i was like "Uh, i don't really use whiteboards that much but then i was thinking that actually could be a really cool video integration by sort of sketching out So I've been doing a lot of projects that have multiple iterations where I do like one version, then I modify it and show another design option. Yeah. But there could be like a little whiteboard segment in the video where I sort of go through the initial design ideas. So at first I saw this and I'm sort of, you know, remember those old UPS commercials where the guy with like really floppy hair would like, you know, do amazing drawings on the the whiteboard. Um, So I was thinking about doing some sort of version like that. Then the other thing that I thought would be kind of fun is maybe doing some of our brainstorming sessions on the Modern Maker Podcast YouTube channel where we got a big whiteboard up and uh, just went know, to town with some with some ideas. Right. Just, you know, get out that that 24 pack of Modelo, break out some <laughs> Sharpies, sniff the Sharpies down to Modelo's and sketch up some genius. Yeah, <laughs> we should uh, we should see if that UPS guy is unemployed right now because maybe we could <laughs> we just we could employ his services. We just tell him our ideas and then he tries to draw them. <laughs> yeah. He draws them up. We get a little postal service playing in the background. Boom! We got a commercial. Oh, that's going, right, baby. postal service. <laughs> yeah. What else was postal service fun? Was that from Garden State movie too? It probably was in there. I think they used it a lot around the the early two thousands. It was it was, gen- it was in pretty heavy rotation. It was a gentler and more sensitive time. <laughs> it was. Awesome. All right. So we have a question. Uh, this is from Make It Mazio on Instagram. Check them out. It's, it says, hey, guys, I have a question for the podcast. Do you think you would make more complicated designs if you had someone else build the project versus something, you know, you're building, i.e. favoring repeatable cuts over a lot of cuts that need entirely new setups? Also, how much do you think about execution when designing? And do you ever find it restricting? And then he says a bunch of nice stuff, but I always hate it when people go on and on about all the nice stuff that people write. That's just to get you to read the question. It's not <laughs> supposed to be repeated on air because it sounds like you're kind of you know, blowing yourself. All right. So let's do, let's do the, the first part of the question first. So, I mean, the first thing that jumps in my mind is it depends who's building it. Right. Are they better it, that than could you? Actually, that could actually be a, a new angle of a video where like, okay, I know how to design something, but now I'm going to design something that like, a first a beginner could build maybe yeah. you know that maybe could be we'll, part of the design challenge maybe we'll do that as a round robin challenge where you just have to tell the other person how to do it um 
I think there's a you know when I saw this, I, I like this question a lot because I think it has uh, there's a there's a lot to to discuss. So, it's <laughs> I've often found that it's much harder to tell somebody how to do something complicated than to do something complicated yourself. It's, yeah. And the, now repetition is exactly where I'd want help. Uh, but that's the whole challenge of design, right? You know, in architecture, you spend hundreds, if not thousands of hours making a incredibly technical document that tells people exactly how to build a building. But there's, there's, it's, the challenge is also unlimited because there will always be things that are subject to interpretation. Uh, something the scale of architecture is also complicated because it has to serve as a legal document for both the municipal governments and also for the contractors to sort of bid on. So I actually think that that kind of design work is really exhausting. Also, for most of my projects, it takes me pretty close to as long to make the plans for them and think about how I'm going to word things so that people understand them than it does to sort of just figure it out and make it in my in my head. No, I know that's actually something that I've been going through lately because for the longest time, I've been meaning to make plans. And last week, I actually started putting together my first plan. So not only had I not only ever made a plan before, I've never used a plan before. So in making it, I'm finding a lot of like, as I'm writing it up, I'm like, am I going into too much detail here? Or am I not going into enough detail? It's hard to kind of find that balance because... So the one that I'm using as a guinea pig is the dresser that I built for my friend Chris when they were having the kid. And it's, you know, I would would consider it like a mid-level project, like definitely not beginner, but not super complex or advanced. So I'm trying to write it with that person in mind. Like, you know, this isn't going to be a complete beginner where you have to explain every single little thing, but then you do have to make sure you explain like the kind of unique parts of the build in enough detail so that they get what you're doing. So my plan is to actually, because I'm such a visual learner compared to, you know, reading, I just don't soak it up the same way when I'm reading, is to do kind of a video that's in the same style as the let's talk about design videos that I do, where I'll actually go through the project and go over the more complicated parts of the build. That way I can kind of, you know, move around in three-dimensional space and talk and say a lot more than what I would want to sit there and write and people would probably want to read and it'd be I think it'll be a lot faster for people to digest so we'll see how it comes out I'm going to kind of after I'm done with the first one I'm going to send it to some people and get some feedback and then I'll just refine from there have you ever heard of like the concept in aviation where somebody's flying by instruments so when they have no there's like a few different levels of being rated as a pilot you know, the mm-hmm. sort of basic pilot license, you're not cleared for fly- flying at night or in low visibility. That For that, you need to have your sort of instrument rating. And that's what I think sort of making design documents or explaining design to someone else is. It's like them being blindfolded, and you are, you can see, but your hands are off the wheel, and you're just telling them, okay, a little bit more to the right. And what that requires is technically precise language at the highest level. Now, for the kind of stuff we're doing, it's relatively simple, so we can just kind of make pictures of it, throw a few dimensions in. But even something with as simple as what we're doing, which is sort of basic furniture plans, relative dimensions are a, a complex idea that are really tricky for some people to grasp. People always ask, why right. don't you just put uh, a cut list and tell us every single piece? I'm like, because you'll have a really hard time putting the last few pieces into place. 
right? Because field measurements are real. Uh, it, and what will happen be is you're not taking into account tolerances. So if you tell everyone to cut pieces this size and then assemble it, if each piece is a sixteenth of an inch off, by the time you've put ten pieces together, you could be quite a bit off. Um, I couldn't do that fractional math. Uh, <laughs> So we get what you're saying. Five eighths. That that's a really big challenge. And then people are saying, well, why do you have dimensions for this? And then you have to put a note saying, oh, we'll do a field measurement for the last two people. And then you get people sort of asking what field measurements are. And so then you put a permanent note on your drawings that say, field uh, measurements are this uh, things that should be measured after these parts have been assembled. But that already makes it complex because you're not just showing the geometry. Now you're showing geometry and a sequence of timing. So it would be really nice if you could just do one exploded axon or one three-dimensional drawing with dimensions and let people go from there. But the minute you introduce sequence into it, then you have to show step-by-step drawings, and then you're making a whole bunch of drawings of one thing, and you've added a lot of complexity. Yeah, that's the actually, when you brought that up, that's like one of the big things that where I've had to like think about how am I going to explain this to people and what can I assume that they know? So like it was actually fitting in the drawers. So there's three drawers, you know, the gap between the two spaces is 27 and a half inches. You're going to have an eighth inch gap between each drawer and between the edges of the drawer fronts and the cabinet. And that's assuming everything goes together perfectly square and exactly. right where it should. And everybody makes little mistakes along the way, probably. Yeah. So then it's the question is, do you just put the dimensions knowing that whoever's building it understands that and will adjust to that or are they just going to be like oh i just cut everything and now it didn't work this is what this is my uh this is my take on it and it's something that i've thought about doing for a while and i'm now going to start for sure is in in the plans do your absolute cuts and then figure out a way of labeling the ones that are dependent on the priors. So maybe mm-hmm. the, the relative cuts, the relative cuts, maybe have an asterisk in front of every single one of those and say, you know, this is approximate, but cut to fit. Right. So kind of what I did, and this is what, this is the way that I always do it is you don't have to be that complex in your math. Like if you find out like, oh, every drawer should be eight and 13 27ths or, you know, some crazy fraction, right? I would just say, okay, just make them each eight and a half. And then when you get to the top one, measure out what it's going to be. And it's going to be like a 16th of an inch different, but your eye is never going to tell. So just like cut something simple and repetitive that's a little bit bigger than what it needs to be. And then just cheat on that last one to fit it in. The other complexity of these things is, I mean, we see this all the time, right? A two by four isn't really two inches by four inches. It's one and a half by four inches. Three and a half. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Duh. Um, but the same thing, the same things whenever I've done projects that involve pipes, when you're telling someone else that and you say, oh, it's three quarter inch pipe, they'll go and get a drill bit that's three quarter of an inch to drill a hole for a steel pipe to go through. But that might be inside diameter, not outside diameter and walls have thicknesses. Another tricky thing is people make mistakes and material isn't always perfect. So if you show a perfect cut list for how to use a sheet of plywood, but one of those edges is nicked up, that could totally throw off the whole project. Totally. Yeah. Also, different saw blades have different thicknesses and different curves. So waste is to, to sawdust is also a consideration. So all these things make, it, make a seemingly simple project that would be easy to 3D model more complex for actually providing instructions for. Yep. Now, the second half of the question... How much do you think about execution when designing 
And do you ever find it restricting? No. To me, that's where most of my designs come through uh, from ideas about execution. So bucket stool is a great example. I had long been thinking about making a three-legged stool because at the time I needed a couple for my house and for my workshop. But I could never think of a way without making a complex jig for a drill press, which I didn't have at the time. I only had a hand drill. I could never think of a way to sort of, without making a ton of work, make something that would get the angle of those all consistent. And the drill bits that I had that were big enough to accommodate a dowel that would be strong enough to be a leg were all Forstner bits. Forstner, I've been getting corrected. I've been saying Frostner yep. for a long time. I don't know why. I just like saying it that way better. Frostner um, the snowman. <laughs> Forstner bits. So you can't. Re- those are not an ideal bit for drilling at an angle because the, the center point doesn't hit the wood first. So right. the idea for the, the concrete bucket stool came from thinking about the execution of how do you drill, how do you put angled dowels into a solid material that'd be strong enough for the seat. So I think like, again, with the the plywood media console, I only had a circular saw and I knew my cuts wouldn't all be perfect as if they were on a table saw and such. So I, you know, did that sort of pancake stacking as a, as a way of executing something that would be difficult with the, the tools I had available. Yeah, and Chris, it makes me think of like all your plywood stacking too. Mm-hmm. And rather than letting, having to do a bunch of dados limit what you would do, you're just like, I'm going to figure out the shape that I want and then figure out what I have to do to basically make it rather than the other way around. Yeah, and I would say that's probably the most frequent way that I work is when I'm designing, I'm just purely focused on aesthetics And then after I have an aesthetic that I like, I go back and figure out, okay, what's the best way to do this? Right. And I always find whenever I'm at a design school, whether I'm, you know, on architecture review or industrial design, the biggest difference between student designers and professional designers that have sort of actual fabrication experience is students design in the world of geometry, whereas professional designers with experience design for a world that is full of errors and unpredictability. Students will model things that are incredible, but there's no tolerances. They don't think about which layers will sort of overlap and because they just think of it in terms of a 3D model and geometry. Well, I need to make a box, but they won't think about material thickness. They'll just assume, oh, wait, of course I can just get wood that's three inches thick. Yeah. You know, they, don't, they don't think about cost, uh, all those yeah. things. And so that's why you'll often talk to contractors and they'll say, oh, they hate architects because they say architects design unrealistic buildings. And well, yeah, that's bad architects that, uh, you know, that don't take the time to learn the full sort of farm to table spectrum of, of building a building. And so that's why I think actually execution is when, when I'm looking for ideas, I'm thinking about ideas about execution and materials. And then I, if I see an opportunity through an execution idea that I know would be doable, then I start to try to, uh, the, the sort of final step is just coming up with a form or shape or design that it'll, it'll look good with. Well, for Mike, I think one of the projects that, that comes to mind for you is, I mean, this is more of a material discovery, but again, remember the big dowels? Yeah. And then yeah. the, the PVC ring. The PVC ring was both an execution idea to sort of, one, you know, create a sort of aesthetic effect, but it also gave you a lot more variability in terms of, 
you know, if you didn't have the right size drill bit, you have like one more intermediate step that could make that a little bit, uh, a little bit easier. And I think that's kind of where I normally go whenever I'm focused on experimenting in that sense is I find a new material and then I build projects around that rather than I kind of think like the way the question might have been alluding is like whenever you find a new material do you struggle on how to how to work that into your normal flow or do you develop a project around that idea or that that material and so I think that's the the more beneficial way of experimenting rather than trying to force things into your normal workflow is just think of how you can improvise and adapt around what you're wanting to incorporate right and so when we were in the same place when we would get excited oh my god you got to check this out it was never about like a sketch for a shape of something it was always about look at this piece of hardware or this thing that we didn't know existed this is going to allow us to achieve a shape that would be desirable it's it's almost always seeing a you know we get much more excited i think about the parts or a tool, or something that's going to able make one step a little bit easier that we know through experience is actually a little bit more tricky than it would be just to 3D model it. No, this is something. It's this is kind of tangential. You made me think of it, Ben, when you were talking about the student, the amateur versus pro designer. One of the comments that I got a lot on the outdoor patio furniture stuff that I put out last week um, on the bench. So you know how it was several pieces all stacked up real thick. People kept saying like, oh, couldn't you just make that out of like, you know, basically making a perimeter so it looked thick, but it was actually hollow on the inside. And I had thought about that when I was building it. And I was like, yeah, I mean, like I might save one piece of plywood out of like six that I'm already using for this project, but it would add a ton of time. I I feel like in a way people can get kind of like caught up on like the idea that like, oh, you have to do everything you can to like use the least amount of material to make this the most efficient possible where that might make sense if you're producing like 200 of these benches but if you're producing one i mean your time is certainly worth something and if you know you're going to save maybe 60 dollars in material for the whole thing but you're going to spend an extra six hours it's probably not worth it 100 percent. i think the, the the takeaway for this isn't to think of it as restricting think of it as enabling but what it, it just means you might have to do things in reverse. It might be that you don't come up with the grand final vision first. It might come up that, with that you explore and experiment with techniques first. And then all of a sudden you realize that all these sort of pre-existing full shape and form ideas that you have are now possible because you have the, these new secret weapons in terms of specific tool understandings, material understandings, or connection uh, ideas. Also, don't rush trying any one thing because it could also be that the magic moment of inspiration comes when you have two unique unique ideas that kind of merge together and that's what works really well. You know what I mean? Sometimes if you're trying to do just one unique thing and then work it into what you're normally doing, it looks forced or it looks like you basically like slap something onto what you normally do. Right. It, it, let's make some sports analogies. Let's do that. I was going to do a food analogy. Normally, you go with those. It, it wouldn't. Be, it would never be like, "Hey, let's get in football. Let's get better at flea flickers." Right? Like that would be like a finished idea of what it happens. <laughs> That's the play, baby. Where you might see the opportunity for a flea flicker is you're seeing, okay, the defense is reacting to this kind of thing this way, and the safeties are coming up way too quickly, and the minute they see the ball in the running back's hands. They're rushing towards the line of scrimmage. 
So you don't just decide, hey, we're going to be the team. We're going to throw flea flicker, flickers because they're awesome. You wait until you see the opportunity <laughs> Have a for reason. it. And then you do things to make those opportunities more likely to exist. Exactly. What's the food analogy, Chris? Oh, when you were talking about having one idea, you know, not jumping on the one idea, but wait until you have a few. And so I was going to say if somebody had an idea for a peanut butter jelly or a peanut butter sandwich, and then six months later, they had the idea for a jelly sandwich. And then they added salsa to it. And then it was (laughs) perfect. You got to throw that salsa. (laughs) Was it peanut butter? Yeah, it was peanut butter, jelly, and salsa, right? The salsa was not a substitute for the jelly. No, it's in addition to, but either way. (laughs) <laughs> that's awesome PBNS and J well what are you guys obsessed with this week have y'all have y'all seen any new uh, YouTube videos I have I've actually seen I don't watch a lot of YouTube videos but I, I watched one lately because Jesse made it and uh, she made a sword yeah so, holy crap <laughs> that was so yeah. impressive S words so for the audio listeners I'm holding said sword right now it's pretty gnarly so her and her little squadron of maker friends are really into that tv show firefly never seen it um but they're they're super into it apparently it's good and they're recreating sort of all the props for all the characters of it and apparently there's this one girl that has a sword and an axe so brett uh, mcafee from skull and spade made jesse this like little hand axe that's like pretty badass and Jesse hasn't done too much metalworking lately, but she, using just an angle grinder, I think is the only power tool, she made herself a sword out of three... I mean, it's a prop sword. So it, it would be a highly functional machete, and I'm going to test it on a coconut a little bit later. So nice. keep an eye on the, on the Instagram uh, stories. But she made a sword using just an angle grinder and then wrap, and, you know, with a wrapped leather handle. I'm holding it up to our little video camera, so you guys can see and we've put it all over instagram but it looks exactly like the prop sword she like knocked it out and it's pretty it's pretty badass so i watched then her video and she's actually doing this in connection with a whole bunch of makers and they're all sort of doing different props for it so it's a pretty cool little wormhole to to fall down it's a wormhole or rabbit hole both Both. whoa i think it's a a rabbit hole (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I so, think so you know, there's there's a whole bunch of videos connected to it, and they're all sort of making their own versions of it. And uh, yeah, it's it's pretty cool. Even if you're not into the show, which I've never seen, um, it's it's pretty awesome. Chris, what do you got, my man? First off, I might be wrong, but I think a wormhole is like a portal. So like you know, you'd put one in Joshua Tree and one here, and then you could just jump through the one to get to the other place. Right. So if you went down a wormhole, it would mean like you really came out someplace unexpected. Whereas a rabbit hole would probably be like a more predictable series of videos. Why not? Yeah, I'm where, gonna say sure. Where's the rabbit hole? Like an Alice in Wonderland reference. I think, I think it, it is, but I think the way you described it does make sense. I think most people say getting lost in like a YouTube rabbit hole. But you're right, it is a little bit more like a wormhole because you can start on one video and end up in some really weird places. Yeah. What's a what's a cornhole? <laughs> okay, no. Uh, that is not okay to talk about on this podcast. <laughs> okay. Uh, so my obsession is a Netflix recommendation that actually came to me from my parents and I watched and I enjoyed. So it's called Long Shot and it's really hard to talk about with not spoiling. So I'm going to be very vague in the a way that I talk about it. competition shooting show? It is not. Not like Top Shot. Guess what it if is, that's what you're- Mike. <laughs> uh, I'm going to say it's some NFL recruits that didn't make it. 
Oh, hey, that's so a long they've shot got a long shot of making it to the league, and this is their training to get to the draft. Nope. So here's oh, what it is. I'll give you. It. So it's a one part documentary. It's like 45 minutes, and it's all about like you know somebody being falsely accused of something. So it's in the same vein as like all those. I feel like they're mystery. making too many shows around that idea. They are. Yeah. But holy cow! This one has a twist in it that's. So good, but you can't. <laughs> I mean, to some people, it might be it might mean nothing. So I'll, I'll give a little hint. If you're into the kind of comedies that I'm into, it has a really, really, really phenomenal twist in it. So it's worth watching. It's good, even if if the twist doesn't mean as much to you as it would to somebody like me. But um, you know, it's only forty five minutes long. It's like watching an episode of Dateline or something like that, but without commercials. But yeah, it's it's a pretty interesting twist. I, in it. I like that Mike's reaction is that they're making a lot of those. Wouldn't the reaction be like, hey, maybe there's a lot of people that are potentially like wrongly convicted? <laughs> yeah, the only reason they're being wrongly convicted is so that we can make more documentaries on it. Right. <laughs> Got to feed the machine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. funny. Like uh, that kind of that kind of thing is funny. Like when I was a uh, probably like six or seven. I think there was a time when I thought that in movies, when they shoot someone, they just did that with people that are on death row. <laughs> That's a good idea. <laughs> or like, I mean, I knew that like there was fake guns and, and blanks and stuff, but I thought like in, in some things that looked like, oh, someone had to die. There's no way to film that in, in a fake way. I just assumed, oh, well, they probably right. just convinced criminals <laughs> to, to go out with some glory. What were the chances that they found somebody on death row that looked so much like Arnold Schwarzenegger? No, I, mean, I, yeah. I, was, I was watching like black and white movies back then. Yeah. I don't think I saw like an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie until I was like, you know, smart enough to know what it was. All right. All right. <laughs> it's highbrow stuff. Yeah. All right. So this week I'm going to shout out uh, Woodbrew. Oh, yeah. They're awesome. They're doing great. Um, and mainly because Chris, or not Chris, I'm sorry, Caleb, the guy that was yeah. working with me, he was filming uh, some of some videos with me during... I guess what would that be like the spring maybe the fall of last year i don't really know but my boy caleb we go way back we used to play music together and stuff but he is in the process of starting a clothing store and i'm going to be doing a lot of projects for that uh to help him with the build out later on this year and we keep falling back on wanting to work with osb i know it was really popular kind of like early 2000s i think is when it would probably have had to have been whenever like that whole industrial kind of vibe was really popping I'm seeing it like pop up a lot more. So the guys over at Woodbrew, Mike and Molly. Wait, is it Mike and Molly? No, that's a, I think si- it's TV, a TV sitcom. Show. Isn't that that's a TV, a TV show? sitcom? Yeah. What? What is it? What's their names? Dylan and Molly. All right, yeah. we're gonna have. To, I'm gonna cut that. Uh, <laughs> no, no, leave it. <laughs> no. But Dylan and Molly from Woodbrew, they've been working on a coffee shop kind of renovation, or at least like a little bit of. Uh, a little bit of the build out kind of behind the shelf and they're incorporating quite a bit of OSB into it. I thought they did a Lululemon store. They did and they're doing another store now so it's, that's pretty cool to see and they're actually going with flat black paint over the OSB which is a cool flip instead of doing kind of a gloss finish over it so right. um, I think it's really interesting. You definitely wouldn't want to do a Shoshugibon finish on <laughs> I don't think so. You don't want to breathe that. <laughs> if you put a flat back flat black paint over it can you still see yeah so that's what's really cool is it still has got a really good visual texture but it doesn't stand out too much or it's not too loud um Mm -hmm. but i wanted to shout them out they're doing something pretty interesting i like that they're kind of doing the deep dive with osb kind of coming up with unique unique uh unique applications for it so shout out to them it is wood brew and then an underscore so 
that is that are you really going to cut out the mike and molly part <sighs> no I guess because I had a good Dharma and Greg joke, I could have. I know. I just can't believe I said it either. It just it just spilled out of my mouth, and as soon as I said, it, I'm like, I know that that's wrong. I'm more surprised that you would like know that show because that doesn't show seem doesn't seem like something you would watch. Oh, I don't watch it. No, it just comes on. Uh, I watch a lot of reruns of Seinfeld, and there's occasionally yeah. commercials for that. Is that the show with the kind of the the big people? Yeah. Oh, I thought <laughs> you were asking people. about Seinfeld. I was like, yeah, it's the dude, you know, like the funny, Jeez, you know, the guy. <laughs> it's with the girl from Bridesmaids, right? I don't really know, honestly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, it. But yeah, they're both big. We love them, though. <laughs> More to love. All right, Chris, what's your joke? <laughs> Nothing. I was just going to name other TV shows that had a boy and a girl name. Oh, okay. Awesome. <laughs> that was Dharma and Greg. That was pretty much it. Those woodworkers, Will and Grace. <laughs> well, either way, we hope you liked this episode. I probably shouldn't ask for a five-star review on this one. <laughs> either way, if you're coming to the Modern Maker Podcast 100 live event in Whittier, California at... Local Fixture. Local Fixture. We're excited to see you. If not, we're excited for you to listen to it. It's going to be a really fun episode. From there, we might even have a cool switch-ups to the format of the podcast. You know, episode 101 might be a cool way of introducing some new stuff. So look, so look forward to that. Otherwise, follow us on Instagram, at Modern Builds, at 4 Furniture, at Benjamin Ueda, at Modern Maker Podcast. And we will see you next week on the Modern Maker Podcast. Bye, everybody. Later. Oh, yeah, and check out our clamps. They're called Maker Brand. Bye. One last plug.